it is a blessing to have a sister church in a city. Um, we have many sister churches across this country that are um, very much isolated. So it's always a blessing to be down here with you. Um, the scripture uh, for today is Psalm 92. If you would like to turn there, and if you would like to stand um, in honor and deference to the Word of God, um, we are going to be reading Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, and the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox, and you have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, and my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I have uh, had the pleasure of coming down here uh, several times now since I've been licensed by the Southern California Presbytery. And so I feel that we've gotten to know each other a little bit better. And so I can wade into something of a hot-button, controversial, cultural topic. I might cause great offense, I might create an uproar, but I feel like I have to speak on it nonetheless. Of course, I'm talking about the war between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Because you see, my wife is surely commander-in-chief of the armies of No Christmas Before Thanksgiving. There's no Andy Williams album being played in our house, there's no candles being set out, Uh, There's no eggnog being purchased. Uh, We are a strict no Christmas before Thanksgiving house. Now, part of the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I think uh, the reason this happens is because we look forward to these days all year with such anticipation and joy. Uh, That we have a national day of Thanksgiving is a very real blessing from God, and so much of what comes with Christmas is a blessing as well, the time to be with family, to think on the incarnation of God, But I want to propose that perhaps uh, we would not have to be so rigid uh, in protecting Thanksgiving if we practice it as fully as the Bible calls us to. Um, That's why I'm preaching on Thanksgiving four days after the holiday. Because Thanksgiving really is this beautiful and unique Christian practice. I know a lot of non-Christians celebrate the holiday of Thanksgiving, but we should ask, to whom are they really giving thanks? But to us, the people of God, we're we're called to give thanks uniquely. Um, That's what Psalm 92 is about. It proclaims it is good to give thanks. So today I want to talk about that because of the great work which God has accomplished, 
We are called to make Thanksgiving a part of our whole life. And there are three kind of helpful um, ways to think about Thanksgiving that Psalm 92 will tell us. Um, First, Thanksgiving must be corporate. Second, Thanksgiving must be cultivated. And third, Thanksgiving must be cardinal. That's not a word we use often. I was stretching to get my alliteration in, but we will see what that means at the end of the sermon. So first, let's again look at the first couple verses of this psalm to see how thanksgiving should be corporate. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, and at the works of your hands I sing for joy. Right after declaring that it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to his name, the very next thing that the psalmist says is that we declare his steadfast love in the morning and his faithfulness by night. There's a sense in which that is very pretty poetic imagery in the morning and the night, But we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge that this morning and night worship is central to the life of God's people. Ever since God has gathered his people, he has commanded them to worship morning and evening. We see in the Old Testament there are dozens of references to not only the normal sacrifices, but something in specific called the evening sacrifice. Indeed, we find in the Gospels that that's the hour at which Christ died, was at the time of the evening sacrifice. And so it has always been with God's people that they gather in the morning and in the evening to offer a a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And so now we as Christians in the Reformed Church seem to be almost alone in holding on to the practice of evening worship. But what I want to encourage you in is that when we make the time and brave the difficulties of this life in the anxieties of our jobs and our families and our schools, that we are, as the psalmist points out here, joining together with the saints over thousands of years, even the church in the Old Testament, because God's people have always been called to give thanks together in the morning and the evening. So it is also, the next thing that the psalmist mentions is music, lute, and harps, and lyres. Now we live in a very wealthy society where many of us probably have musical instruments in our home. But what's in view here, again, is a corporate reality, not an individualistic one. This is not talking about that friend you have from college who always brings his guitar to your house whether or not you asked him to. And any time there's a gathering of people, he brings it out and starts playing Stairway to Heaven, or some song to impress people. Um, This is not a common practice for most of human history to just have musical instruments around your house. These are references, again, to the worship that God's people bring together. In Numbers 10, there's specific musical direction given to God's people about the very type of horns they're supposed to use. This also brings up in memory David rejoicing with music, with these instruments, before the ark as he returns it to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6. So again, the music here is not just you and your guitar that you bring to a party. It is the songs of God's people in the morning, in the evening, singing songs together, 
And that's how this section ends. Because we've been made glad by His work, and at the work of His hands, we sing together for joy. There are a lot of songs in Scripture. We know of 150 right here in the book of Psalms. There are other ones as well. Um, Two of my favorites are um, from godly women in the Bible. There's a song of Miriam in Exodus. And we, of course, know of the song of Mary, which we now call the Magnificat. And what's amazing about both these songs by these women is something amazing has just happened to both of them. Right? Miriam has been delivered from the army of Pharaoh. She was there. She watched the chariots coming. And Mary was told by Gabriel that she's the one carrying the Messiah. And although they are both individually thankful, their songs, and I would encourage you to read them, are corporate expressions of thanks. Miriam rejoices that all of God's people have been redeemed by his mighty hand. Mary, she's the one who has the child, but she rejoices that God is bringing good news to all of the poor and all of the sinners in the world. These are corporate songs. And so when Psalm 92 says it's good to give thanks and then gives three corporate expressions of thanks, we need to see that our own thanksgiving is incomplete if it's not corporate. Now, a pretty good analogy for this is, is, is team sports. That's something that we're a pretty big fan of here in America. There are certainly some sports we can play on our own. Uh, swimming you can do on your own. Uh, running you can do on your own. Golf you can do on your own. It's better when I golf on my own because then no one sees my frustration or my lack of skill. But there are other team sports which would be absurd to try to do on your own. Um, But in in a very real way, it's no more absurd for me to line up against 11 Pittsburgh Steelers than it is to think that I can give thanks to God on my own. It is fundamentally against the design of the whole thing. We are called to be together together and give thanks together. Now, we can be together in these kinds of circumstances by God's grace through live streaming and through texts and emails, but when we separate ourselves from our body, our ability to give thanks will suffer in very much the same way that I would suffer if I tried to play football against the Steelers by myself. Although this is not just a physical pain, it's a, it's a serious heart, soul-level difficulty when we can't give thanks. Because, brothers and sisters, it is hard to give thanks sometimes. The psalmist acknowledges that. And so we're going to follow the psalmist now to the second point, that thanksgiving has to be cultivated. The psalmist says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The psalmist acknowledges that God is big, and his truths are rich and full and can sometimes be difficult. Um, Across the book of Psalms, the authors proclaim, who can know your ways or plumb the depths of your thoughts? Um, In the New Testament, we have New Testament authors saying some of Paul's writings are hard to understand, right? The, The scripture is replete with a command to be very intentional, to have the word in your heart, to meditate on it, because God is big and it can be a lot to wrestle with. But the mistake is to not wrestle at all, because then the Psalm transitions to those who don't plumb the the depths of God, and it says, quite bluntly, that they're stupid men. And sometimes the Bible in its bluntness is very beautiful, because you could translate that other ways, but nothing gets the thought across more than stupidity. I remember reading this when I was raised in in the Catholic Church catechism class, 
And I remember reading it and just saying, it says, stupid men don't know, and I, and I laughed. But I think the bluntness of it is supposed to get our attention. Because here's, what's, here's what the psalmist, what the Bible says, is stupid. Stupid people look at the world and they think evildoers truly prosper. That's what stupid is. And now this has shifted to being kind of funny to being very convicted. Because I look at the world and I see evildoers prosper. And it makes me struggle to give thanks. Because I don't have everything that my heart wants. Uh, I am not a man of great wealth or prestige. I don't have all the fancy toys that I think that I want. Life can be difficult. I see people have those things. I know that they're wicked and hate God. And then I say, in my stupid heart, why should I give thanks? But the Bible says the problem with this is that it's not even true that ultimately those who are apart from God and His Word prosper. Because it promises that they are doomed to destruction forever and that all those who oppose God will perish. And a great picture of this is from the book of Isaiah when it says that grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And so it's not an accident here that, that the wicked who flourish are compared to grass. Right? Because it comes and it goes. And this is uh, a, a story that's not my own. It's an illustration that comes from Brian Chapel. But I feel like as Arizonans we can uniquely relate to because of how hard it is to get grass to grow in this state. Um, at Calvin we have, if you've been hopefully, um, and hopefully soon we can resume our fifth Sunday joint meetings, we have that little grass courtyard. What happens in Arizona is all the grass dies. So if you've tried to go grass, you know the next step for your winter lawn. You overseed it. You pile it full of fertilizer and of seeds, you overwater it, and then no one's allowed to touch it. And it becomes like the Holy of Holies. Don't go in there, or I'll kill you, because I've had to put so much work to get this to grow. Rather, so many of our lawns are desert landscaping. I'm an Arizona native, and I like it, but it can be very hard to get stuff to grow here. And yet, somehow, it is amazingly easy for weeds to grow in my backyard amazingly easy, with, with no apparent water or work or fertilizer or overseeding or watering. They just grow in between the rocks of my desert landscaping, those vines and those weeds that I have to get down on my hands and knees and pluck out by the roots. But the, the truth is, is the world makes it hard for us to give thanksgiving. And the weeds of what the Bible calls stupidity flourish very, very easily in our hearts with very little work we fall into the mistruth of believing wicked prosper. I should get some of that wickedness myself so I can get that house or that car or that significant other. But what we know the Bible says again and again and again, just like any gardener or farmer would know, that diligence in giving yourself to the work that's given to you will reap the fruits. And that's what God is promising here. If we cultivate the word of God in our hearts, which unlike grass, does not wither, then there will be real growth in thanksgiving in our hearts. And the main way we do that is by focusing on the most important thing. And that's how the psalm of thanksgiving ends. And we're going to transition to the third point, which is that thanksgiving should be cardinal, meaning 
It should be focused on what's the chief, most important singular thing. We're going to go down to verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of our God. Now, what's great about, again, we talk about cultivating thanksgiving. The more time you spend in the book of Psalms, by the grace of God, you begin to see how interrelated they are, how much they use similar themes and ideas. So it's possible that when we read that, being planted in the house of the Lord like a cedar in Lebanon, that your mind goes to another psalm, as it should. I'm going to read the first psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield in their fruit season and leaves that do not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like a chaff that the wind drives away. Now, we're going to get on to the application what this means. Um, and I will not mention this gentleman by name because I preached some very poor sermons at seminary. You kind of get them out of your system. But when I was in seminary, they have you do pastoral training classes. They have you have sermons. Um, Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte actually built a tiny little practice church with an altar and with pews so that you could go practice in it. And uh, we were assigned psalms. You weren't allowed to pick. And they assigned Psalm 1. And uh, the gentleman got up there and preached for 30 minutes. It was full of language study and, and wisdom and application about what's so bad when you sit in the seat of scoffers and all these bad things that happen. And he got down, and then Professor Belcher stood up and said to the gentleman, um, that message would have gone over very well in a synagogue. And for all the seminary students, you just melted in your spot. Because the one thing that we're called to do is to preach Jesus Christ. And so if we read Psalm 1, we have to see who the righteous man truly is. Because it's not me, and it's not you. There is one who does not wither, who keeps the law perfectly because he wrote it. The righteous man of Psalm 1 is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says he is planted. Christ is the one who is planted and never moves. So then when we read in Psalm 92 that the righteous are also planted like the tree, that connection becomes hopefully as bright as the sun. This is not about you being good enough and righteous enough for God to plant you. What God does is he takes that same grass, that stupid, selfish, ungod-acknowledging grass, and because of the righteous man, he turns it into the tree that's planted in his court forever. Thanksgiving has to be cardinal. It has to chiefly be about what Christ has done for you. Because now I think the fullness of the whole psalm fits together. The mistake that the Bible calls stupid is defining your life by how you prosper materially in it. That is the stupid mistake. Because it doesn't last. There is only one promise that will last regardless of how good you are. And that is that Christ can save you. And 
that once He has saved you and plants you in the court of God, you will never be removed. There is no wind that can blow you away from His presence. And a really pretty picture of this is also then now in in Revelation 21. I would invite you to turn. Revelation 21 is what Psalm 92 is looking forward to. Being in the presence of God forever. And here's what it says. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's what Psalm 92 is saying. He is going to plant the people that he makes righteous because of the real righteous one. He's going to make them righteous, and then they're going to be here forever. And because they are with God, what does that mean? It means this. He's going to wipe away every tear. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. Those things are all away from us in heaven because we're with God. Because we're planted like trees in his court. And in his presence, there can be no crying. Because there is real joy. And so the psalmist ends this way so intentionally on purpose. That the center beating heart of our thanksgiving can't be what's happening in this world. But it has to be our eternal status in the courts of God. That is the kind of thanksgiving that we can then actually and truly give year-round. Because, as we see, looking around us right now, life can be hard. So many of our beloved brothers and sisters, and deacons and elders and a pastor, are not able to be here because the weeds of this world are multiplying. There is virus. There is sickness. There is confusion. There are lies in this world. There's unfairness. There's corruption. People are not treated fairly. But Jesus promised us that was going to happen. And in fact, Jesus went through that like we did. And we don't need to think that Jesus came down here and enjoyed the suffering. Because the Bible doesn't say that he did. It said that he did it. Why? For the joy that's set before him. That is the only way through for us as well, is to look at the joy that's in front of us, which is that we can be planted like trees in the presence of God forever. And then everything else, we can give thanks through it, including through a nasty, stubborn, insistent virus that just won't go away. And yet we say there's nothing this virus can do that's going to change the fact that I am planted in the court of God. And I should give thanks for that. When we are suffering with sickness, when we are losing our jobs, when we do not have money, when we don't have a significant other, when we're suffering, when our parents are suffering, when our children are suffering, our response should be to give thanks. And it's expressed perfectly in the song that we just sang. Because whatever's happening to us, Rather than saying, how is this bad thing happening to me? Like the grass that withers, we say, 
how can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's reward? And there's, uh, that's, I think, my favorite hymn. It's a blessing in God's providence that we sang it today. And there's, a, there's a line I can barely get through without getting emotional. Um, Tis mercy all immense and free, because, oh my God, it found out me. It's so easy when bad things happen to us and say, why me? Why did my car get a flat tire? Why did I get fired? Why did I miss that promotion? Why is my child sick? Why is my father sick? But if we keep the first things first and remember that you, some offense attended, not that much, you who were the stupid men and women who didn't realize what God had done, God took you stupid grass, and turned you into his delight and his tree forever, then when we say, how could it be me? The answer is, it's not how could it be me that got fired or got sick. The answer is, how could it be me that is saved by Jesus forever? How could it be me that I give thanks to a God who I pursued unto death? That is the thanksgiving that powers through. That's why it is good to give thanks to the Lord corporately and to cultivate it because the main thing powers us through it. Now, how do we do that? A really huge way is song. And we see that throughout this psalm. It talks about singing, having great joy, using instruments, all these things that we do. Um, brothers and sisters, uh, as we cultivate um, Thanksgiving, and we don't just do it on the fourth Thursday of every November, um, we should be a people who sing. And we are. It's a joy to come sing with you here. But these Trinity Psalter hymnals, um, there's no official church rule that they're only allowed in churches. Um, you could have them in your home. Um, if we think, oh, I, I don't know how to sing, my, my singing is poor, uh, then you misunderstand what makes singing beautiful. What makes singing beautiful is that you're the sinner that God saved. That's what he rejoices in, Right? He's the one who does the work. If we don't come to him and sing because we're bad at it, then I think we misunderstand how we come to him at all. We never come because we're good at it. So let those songs dwell in your heart during the week with your time, with family worship. If, if, you, if you do it, if you haven't started yet, singing, the whole psalmist says, is an amazing tool in giving thanks. And then let me say also, yes, it's good to fight for good songs. The book of Colossians says that we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There are bad songs out there. They are bad. Um, It's okay to say that. That doesn't make you a mean, angry Calvinist. Um, Because truly bad songs are the ones that encourage you to base your thanksgiving on how good God is making your life. And that's blasphemy. If we read in the Westminster Larger Catechism, what are those sins that taking the Lord's name in vain includes? One of them is mocking or teaching wrongly his benefits. And there are so many of these songs that come out now, and they don't say his name, they don't say what he's done, and they just vaguely promise that they're going to help, please God help me get through my problems and stand on the water which is really an amazing biblical reference because when the Apostle Peter went out on the water, did he stand on it? He fell. 
So much of this world is, like we said, the weeds trying to get us. It's fighting. It's making Thanksgiving hard for us. One of the ways it makes Thanksgiving hard for us is by giving us bad songs and bad theology that make it harder for us to give Thanksgiving. God has not promised that you're going to run out on the water like he did. Because the Apostle Peter didn't. He fell. And not only are those songs damaging to us because they, they teach us to look for worldly blessings to delight in, they're also insulting to God. Because what God wants you to rejoice in is here in the psalm. Rejoice in what I have done. The work of my hand is salvation. The work of my hand is not getting you a Tesla. The work of my hand is not making you popular. In fact, God says, I, I choose the foolish on purpose. And yet we as God's people continually go back to his bad mythologies. And, and, and it's good to be offended in a sense. John Calvin said this. He said, a dog barks when someone attacks its master. How then can we stay silent when someone attacks our God? Right? These songs are not just whatever. They're bad. This theology is not just whatever. It's bad. I'm going to quote a, a Reformed Baptist pastor in Houston, but so much of this, of this theology teaches you to pursue as your goal the very thing that Jesus said would destroy your soul. Here's another one. When we sing songs and promote theology that tells you that the whole point of singing and thanksgiving is for God to pick you up and make your life better, that is mocking the martyrs whose blood gets spilt on the sands in Sahara and the pastors and the elders and the sisters who are in jail in China for the gospel. They are in jail, and they may die there. The question is, can they give thanksgiving? And what's amazing about these brothers and sisters is they are the first ones to say yes. They are the first ones to give thanks because they know that God will take them out of the Sudan and out of Chinese prisons and out of Iranian detention camps not to standing on the water and having earthly pleasure. God takes them from those awful places and he puts them in his court forever. And they rejoice in that with thanksgiving. So the encouragement is, brothers and sisters, let the word of Christ dwell richly in your heart through singing. Good songs. Defend good songs. And then lastly, my last encouragement we talk about, you know, I mentioned this war between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, and my, my own family's very rigid rules about not celebrating Christmas early. Um, but the truth is, is that we get to celebrate Christmas at least 52 times a year. Because we celebrate the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ every time we come to church. Just like we celebrate his resurrection and Easter. Just like we celebrate Thanksgiving. Just like we celebrate all that he's done and so the encouragement here is to go back to the very beginning. My last application for you is that this psalm is described as a psalm of the Sabbath. Today is the day that the Lord has made for you to rejoice and be glad in it. And the great gracious promises that can be at home. Matter of fact, it should be at home. I'm going to quote Calvin again. What this psalmist says is that those who would imagine they honor the Lord's day through idleness Imagine it wrongly. And that instead the Sabbath, this psalm says the Sabbath is a day of rejoicing actively in what God has done. That's this day. So brothers and sisters, if you struggle to give thanks, cultivate it by keeping the first things first, 
by singing good songs in your home and in your churches, and then by making the Sabbath day a delight. Um, We will all leave here soon and go home. But the great joy of giving thanks to God and rejoicing His name should continue unabated on this day. Thanksgiving is a Sabbath activity. And even if we don't feel like it, like my daughter clearly doesn't feel like it right now, um, we know that by His grace, if we make the Sabbath important to us, and don't just be idle, but sing songs, remember what He's done, then He will help us to bear fruit. As the psalmist says, even in old age, even at a young age, as a child, if we dedicate ourselves to giving thanks, we will reap the fruit of joy. Joy is the fruit that we're given. And again, I think that's why we really look forward to Thanksgiving and to Christmas and Easter, is because for a moment, in our own hearts, we're able to break through the weeds of this world and rejoice with Thanksgiving. Brothers and sisters, as the psalmist says, let that be true of you today. This is our song for today's Sabbath, to give great thanks to God for what he has done.